0: Thank you, John. Well, I'm very lucky that just a few miles away from here, there is an amazing beach, which I think probably Shane knows about, which is Hawsey Gap. And at this time of the year, the last two or three months, it is absolutely full of seals. The most extraordinary seals. And if you've ever got close to a seal without, you know, risking uh, disturbing them, There is no doubt about the fact of why stories, the Selkie stories, came about. And because it's World Storytelling Café, and because the people who live in the sea underneath the waves live all the way around the world, I thought I would tell you a story that you could find anywhere in the world. And as I was walking along the cliff one day at Horsey Gap, I saw a young girl and she picked up a shell and it reminded me of this story that I want to tell you. And I remember as a child putting a shell to my ear and listening and listening because I was told the whole world was in it. And When I was watching the girl, it reminded me of something Duncan told me and it was this story. So go back, go back to a time where there was a man, On his own, it's past midnight. He's come home from fishing, as he does six days a week. He's washed out his shirt, thick with salt. He's had his meal alone. And now he's sitting there. A clock is ticking. A book is dropping off his lap as he starts to fall asleep. But then he hears something. Something strange. Something he had never heard of before. And he goes to his door and he unlocks the door and he looks outside and he looks down the street. A narrow street with a church at the end. And coming down that street, echoing, is the sound of voices singing. Oh, I says, so what's that at this time of night? And curious, he puts on his boots and he puts on a coat and he enters that street, that echoing street and passes the houses, those empty houses, their curtains shut, the people asleep. He goes down to the church and past the church where all the dead soil souls are nice and silent. And he comes down to the beach and all the while he hears the sound, the sound of voices singing. Above him, as there was a few nights ago here, a full moon shining. And he looks out across the sea, the waves crashing across the beach. And he remembers something that his father once told him. You know, grandson, who lives out in the sea, in the deep, deep sea, are the seal people. And when the fisherman had asked his grandfather what he meant, How can people live out in the sea? Ah, Grandson, one day you might see them. If you're lucky enough, beneath the full moon, sometimes they come out in the spring, come on the beach and sing. They take off their skins. Of course, he never believed them. Never believed his grandfather. He'd never seen it himself. And yet now, and yet now he could hear something. So he makes his way along the strand, up the cliff, following the sound, until he gets to the very edge and he he looks down and a small bay, sandy and shingled. There in the moonlight, people dancing, people singing, pale skin as white as the moon, black hair as black as the sky, 15, maybe 16 of them dancing and dancing, of course, curious by now, he makes his way down through the rocks, to a little cove next to the bay, and watches them, and then sees, there, close by, a pile of skins, the empty eyes, the skulls, seal skins, and surely these are the Selkie people. And as he watches them and the waves coming in and out, another comes and another comes and takes off their skin. A man, woman, young and old. And then a grey seal comes in. Small it is. And as the others makes its way, ruffles its way up the beach, pulls off its skin. And as she does, the longest black hair you ever did see, and at once, this fisherman who'd never had a wife and never had a love inside of him, fell in love with this woman, this beautiful woman as she stepped out from her skin and went and danced and sang with the others. And he watched, she enamored. And then this idea came to him. What if I took her skin? If I took her skin, she could not go back. And if she could not go back to the sea, why she could stay with me and be my wife and give me children. So the fisherman steps out, reaches out to those skins, to that seal skin, that grey skin, and takes hold of it and goes into the shadows and hides that skin and waits and waits and the moon sinks across the sea. And he watches those people. Run down the beach, pull on their skins until seals once more. And they make their awkward way down the beach into the waves. And at once, they're gone one after another until the only one left is the one he had fallen in love with. And there she is upon the beach looking around and seeing the seals out to sea. Brother, sister, mother, father. Give me back my skin, let me have my skin back. And they looked at her and called to her and then vanished beneath the waves. And it was only then that the fisherman came out and she saw him by the last of the moonlight and stared at this mortal man. Do you have my skin? Did you take my skin? No, he said, I was watching you dancing, all of you. I think I saw it amongst the waves. I think it got washed away, but what am I to do? I can't go back to the sea and I can't stay here. I need my skin. I tell you what, he said, you can come with me. I live in the village. I can't go there. You're a mortal man. I belong in the sea. You can come with me tonight. Tomorrow I'll come and find your skin. Come with me. And the fisherman steps out across that beach. And takes her and picks her up. She is so, so light, so pale. And carries her up the beach. And she rests her head on his shoulder. Along the strand. Past the church. Past the houses with their curtains shut. Into his house. And sits her down in a chair. And covers her with a blanket. And there. He does some magic. He lights a fire. She never seen a fire. What is this? This is the fire of the earth. You know of the moon and the sea. This is the fire where I belong. And tomorrow? Will you find my skin? I will do my best, he said. And she sat there looking at the flames until eventually she fell asleep. And the fisherman crept out and went down through that street, down to that cliff, down to where he'd hidden the skin, and took it along the beach. There to this fisherman's hut and went inside and locked it away where no one would find it and went back to his house. And the next morning he fed her and she said, go and find my skin. I have to go home. And he went down to the beach and when he came back, he came back empty handed. There is no skin, not yet. Another tide and another tide. Well, what am I to do? You can stay here but i'm not like you i don't look like you i have no clothes to my mother's mother she will know how to fit you in so that no one knows that you've come from the sea that you're a woman of the sea so she goes to see his mother's mother and he was right she gave him a a comb and hairpins and clothes to wear and then she said now if you were to stay with my grandson, I'll teach you how to cook, to make bread, to cook corn and herrings and skate. I will teach you everything about lobsters and crabs and prawns. And, and so over the weeks, she taught her how to be a fisherman's wife. And all the while she complained, that I need to go home. But young girl, you can't go home. Now you must stay here and be immortal. And so it was that she had to stay. She learnt to sow in the field, to grow vegetables, to cook vegetables. She knew how to do these things. And the people in the streets, the women would watch her go by and say, look how pale her skin is, how dark her hair. And one woman said, you know, I spoke to her in the marketplace. And though she seemed like you and me when I looked into her eyes, she seemed so sad. And when I asked her what grief she had, she said she had no grief. And they watched her go by, back to her cottage. And the weeks went on and the weeks went on until that woman went along that cliff where that skin had been lost. And she stood there and as she looked out amongst the waves, she saw so many seals and recognised them. I want to go home. But she put her hands on her belly And she knew that she could not go home, For quickening there was a child, but there would be a mortal child that could not live in the sea. And what could she do? But let it all go. Let all those memories go. And so she turned around on the cliff and she went home. And that was home from there on. And she had a child, a little girl. She taught the girl what she had been taught she one day would be a fisherman's wife. And another year and another year went by and she had a little son. By now, everything that was in her head that ever was when she was a child was gone. She was a mortal woman. All of the past did not exist anymore and would not have existed except one day. In late summer, the children were playing. She was cooking in the kitchen, singing songs that she had been taught by others in the village when she said to her children, go and welcome your father home. See what catch he has. And the children went down that street and passed the church and came on the beach and looked there. And the boy looked at his sister and said, let's surprise our father. Let's go and hide in his hut. So they did. But when they got there, it was loved. Don't worry said the sister. I know where father keeps the key. And she went and found the key and opened the door. Where should we hide? Well, I know where I'm going to hide, said the sister. I'm going to hide behind father's old boat amongst the rigging. So she did. And the boy looked around and saw a great big oil drum. He said, I'll hide here. That'll be good. I'll jump out at father. And as 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 he hid behind the drum, he felt something at his feet. Sister, come here. And when the sister came over, what is it? there on the floor. And there, underneath the oil drum, there was a door. Together they pushed the drum and opened the door. And there were steps down into some kind of cellar. They lit the lantern. Let's go and see what father hides down here. And as they went down the stairs, They looked together and saw somebody staring back at them. Hollow eyes. A skin. Why is there a seal skin down here? And they scooped it up. And they went up the stairs and they went through the street and they came to the house and there was Mother preparing the supper, waiting for them to come home with the fish for the catch. But as they came in, holding the skin, with the face staring at her as she turned around. Everything, everything that she had forgotten, everything that had gone from her mind suddenly came back. Her head was full of all the images of living in the sea. My children, what are you doing with this? Where have you found this? This is mine. How how can that be yours, mother? It's a seal skin. It's my skin. And she took hold of it and she stroked it. Oh, I remember what it was like to swim in the sea. Where did you find it? Come with me. And she led her daughter and son out of the house and down that street and past the church and stood on that beach. My children, I do not know why your father did what he did. But you must tell him what has happened to him. I have to go home. But mother! And then they watched her, pulling on that skin. putting it over her body and over her head. Until she was no more or less than a seal. They went awkwardly down the beach. Until she touched the salty waves. And in she went and they watched her vanish and stood there together. An hour or two went by until they saw their father's boat coming home and he could see them standing on the beach. And as he got out of his boat, as he heard the story, he broke down and cried and, but why father, why did you steal her skin? I have to tell her why, I have to find her. Some people say, that it took him months, some people say it took a year. He never gave up. He needed to tell her why why he stole her skin. Some people say that one day there was a seal in this sea that he saw and knew that it was her and went and got his son and daughter and said, there is your mother. And with that, some people say that he, he went into the waves and swam towards her. The children watched them swimming around as if they were talking to one another. And some people say that not only the seal disappeared, but so did the father. The sea was empty. But those who live in the Orkneys say, no, no. No, the father came back, came back to the shore, came back and wrapped his arms around his son and daughter. And they wept together, they sorrowed together. And some people say that from that day to this day and forevermore, the people who live in those parts, those islands, perhaps all the way around the world, some of them have the whitest skin and the darkest hair and the saddest eyes because they are descended of the people who live in the sea.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, could you please put your hand together for Solar Story? Thank you very much, John, and thank you everyone for the the warm welcome. Yeah, it's uh, there's not much air on that moon, you know, and um, it, it's, it's quite it's quite a tricky a tricky thing getting here. But here I am, and um, I'm glad to be here too. Thank you for that story, Colin. Um, uh, sorry, uh, John, that's definitely not how I thought it was going to end. I thought it was going to end in the traditional Cinderella type of um, wedding, etc. Et so I really appreciated that little twist. Yeah. Um, so my name is solas Story, and um, I am a storyteller, as the name might indicate. And um, I'm coming here to today. To tell you a story that I actually wrote. And it's the story I'm going to rather than perform. I, I would normally perform a story, and there will be some elements of that. But if you will bear with me, I'd like to read your story because um, it's from this book, Nainka's Daughter, which I actually wrote. And um, when I, I was going to tell it straight without reading, but I actually like the words that, that I've written. So, um, if you'll if you'll allow me, if you'll indulge me, I'll read from the book. So before I do, I just wanted to uh, preface the story with this. Um, my stories tend to be either African stories or be heavily influenced by stories from Africa, and I've adopted a mode of storytelling that is generically African, naturally in africa in any country in africa there are many different peoples and they all have different customs and um, different uh, ways of doing things but one of the things that is kind of universal throughout the continent of africa and in the diaspora the caribbean african america in south america etc is that storytelling is participatory as opposed to having an audience and a storyteller, which is less easy to, is less communicable on Zoom than it is in person, but we can nevertheless still um, do something. So I'm about to say, in a place far from here, but near to there. And when I say in a place far from here, I would like you to say, but near to there. Naturally, um, because it's Zoom, you'll have to do it in mute um, so that there's no cacophony. Um, But nevertheless, I'll be able to see you and feel that you're, you're with me anyway. So let's begin. In a place far from here, but near to there. I said, in a place far from here, What? to there. I said, in a place far from here, but near to there. Nainka was a queen in a land of queens a land of joy called Kalno, where the booming song of the surf was carried throughout the thriving villages and towns by the land breath, the fresh wind that carried seeds and life-giving rain, cooling the fierce blaze of the bright day star. It was a place to be happy in, a place of laughter and plenty. In the third season of her coming of age moon cycle, Nainka, as was customary for the Queens of Calo, was initiated into queenship and thus given the talisman of a beautifully crafted silver snake with eyes made from flawless diamonds. Sunna, the high priestess chanted the earth song and all the priestesses including the new queen, Nainka, Dancing Yoka, the initiatory snake dance that was said to bring harmony and connection to all things in the world. And she danced the snake dance. And I would like to see you dance the snake dance along with me. So she danced the snake dance. Very snakey, Manuela Kelly. And Colin Irwin, I can see the snake in you. Norman, that's a very double-headed snake even. I can see the snake writ large in all of you, and I give thanks. So, as long as so it had always been, and as sooner said, as long as the Queens of Calo dance the Nyoka, so it would always be. All was well in the land and because the young queen was initiated into the mysteries, she learned to serve her land as both the daughter and the mother. The reign of Nyinka was a blessed one among the people. The old one said that such a prosperous time had not been witnessed since before the Kaloni left the golden land during the invasion of the desert kings. So Kalob became a center of trade and learning and ships from the known and unknown lands docked in its deep harbor, eager to make a fortune. And it was during the emerald year of Nainka that her daughter received the silver snake in her turn. That was also the year that everything changed. And that's why the story of those times has come to be known as the story of Nainka's daughter. Her name was Ashe. Ashe was a powerful young woman. Her mother, Nainka and her grandmothers had been queens of color for generations. She was groomed from the day of her birth to be next in line. She loved her family and her land but she loved more to run on the warm sands of the long beach, feeling the spray in her face as a land breath balanced the heat of the day. Most of all though, she loved to fight. Wrestling with her sisters and honing the techniques of the Inyoka fighting dance, she and her sisters were girls of the Cobra clan. They were all warriors and ashe was these most skilled amongst them, on the year that she in her turn received the silver snake, the people of Kalo began to suffer a strange affliction. It began small with one person, then another in different families, slowly it spread in small increments, taking over whole villages unnoticed by most, so that by the time it came to official notice, It was already an epidemic, which is kind of topical for now, I suppose. The plague of Buruku, it was called. This was not a physical pestilence with boils and pus. Rather, this was a disease of the spirits, an erosion of people's ability to see and a diminishing of their capacity to be silent and contemplative. A new impulse grew, grew, towards filling every moment with bright, irrelevant chatter and trivial commentary accompanied by a lack of compassion. A sundering of heart connection that led to those afflicted beginning to desire the external trappings of vain status and material power more than the gifts of the spirit. A new thing in color. Chief amongst those so affected was Pono, sorceress of the three riches, which was a rocky cataract above Kalo. Pono was sister of Suna, the royal priestess, and her affliction took the form of envy and jealousy. The new chattering voice that she inherited with the Baruku could not understand why she, with all her mighty accomplishments of power should not be High Priestess, rather than her milksop of a sister, Sunna. Recently, she had been receiving delegations of strange men, Northmen they called themselves. Buruku was a way of life for them, although they called it high sounding names like civilization, economics, and philosophy. The Northmen whispered thoughts of ambition in Pono's ear, and her own spirit of Buruku was exultant with thoughts of an impending takeover. Without further ado, she began to spread this idea amongst a new caste of people, a type of person unknown amongst the people who had always valued inspiration and inner guidance highly, a type of person who, despite their own misgivings, was willing to subvert their heart's truth and mind's will to that of another for material gain. Soon the disease of Buruku dominated the province of the Three Ridges. Pono, with the help of the Northmen, began to create a secret army. This was no ordinary army, but an army changed and malformed by dark sorcery. Pono's soldiers began to avoid the sun and inhabit caves. Emerging only at night to run the farest errands for the hateful woman. And as they labored under her magic, so she and they became more and more twisted until they little resembled the graceful colonies they had once been. Ashe was wrestling on the beach near the point where the three rivers met the ocean in a foaming battle of colliding waters. The laughter of her companions was almost lost in the continuous roar of this collision. A constant spray hung in the air like a curtain of cooling mist. And as far as Ashe was concerned, this was the best place in Calo to do strenuous exercise. It was so stretching. Suddenly, Bara, her clan sister, stopped fighting back and cried, Halt! Everyone froze in surprise and looked where she pointed and saw figures racing towards them. This was not unusual. What was unusual was the disheveled state they were in, the horror in their eyes, the ungainly gait, and worse still, the high pitched screams of despair that emitted from throats unused to such discordant sounds. As she bellowed at the runners, Control yourself! What manner of behavior is this? Why do you act so? The sound of authority enabled the runners to get a grip of themselves. Adba Ashe, they said using Ashe's title. Adba Naika. Along with Iyasono and all their clans have been, have been, have been killed. Dread twisted beings led by the terrible sorcerer Pono fell upon them and destroyed them all. We few were able to escape and warn you their voices distorted and changed as one rasped in an increasingly threatening growl. Beware Abbasay, eh? for even now they come to you and even you cannot prevail against their might. He wrote the last and Ashe was so stunned by this terrible news and his manner of delivery that her life might have ended right then, if not for Bara, her clan sister, who moved with a lightning grace and drawing her sword with a powerful flowing slash, (sighs) removed the head of the newsbringer, ending him as his companions began to slather, jaws lengthening and limbs twisting while they changed into ravening hyenas and launched themselves at Ashe and her companions. (laughs) Wicked! Fast and monstrously strong though they were, they were no match for the warriors of the Cobra Clan, who cut them down with an inco- incomparable battle grace and a dreadful, but controlled wrath. As she spoke, with a fiery anguish to her sisters in her clan, we, we must return to the Grove Lands, where my, where my mother and her gentlefolk hold up or held counsel. <laughs> if these dogs were telling the truth, and our people have all been killed, we must avenge them, and most, most importantly, we must clear our land of this evil bright. Bellowing, chanting, and clutching spears on shields, they swore in the name of their clan, and Callow, that they would not rest until they were dead, or the deed was done, whichever came first. Approaching the lands, Asher and her comrades saw an unnatural darkness hanging over the localised area of the sacred trees. Sorcery, they shouted. Pono, they roared, as they began to pick up momentum, charging the line of misshapen weird beasts they saw before them. Smashing into the shrieking mass, they hewed their way deep into the devastated and desecrated grovelands. And even though the beasts were fast and strong, the peerless warriors cut through their ranks with impunity, the force of wrath adding power to their blows. All around them, they could see the remains of terrible carnage, seeing the mutilated corpses of friends and family scattered willy-nilly on their ravaged lands. Ashay felt the weight of the cloud over her land, in her own soul. She was overcome with grief and a terrible despair. She could see in the faces of her warrior sisters that they, like she, were on the verge of giving in to this wave of despair. They had lost so much, and there were so many of the werebees facing them. Worse still, they were former Kalonis. They were their own people. It seemed futile to continue to resist. At that very moment, warmth tingled from her initiatory gift, the silver serpent, which hung at her waist. As she felt a boost of renewed purpose, infusing her with strength as she fought on, she turned and roared to her still deflated sisters, holding the serpent high, we with, with an urgent light as he shouted, "Cobras! It falls upon us to cleanse our land. This day marks the beginning of the end of Buruku. Let us strike a death blow to this pestilence. Strike it so mightily that it shall never rear its head again. Remember, we are Kalo And the cobras roared back and attacked with renewed vigor, and the monsters began to fall back, shrinking from the deadly rage of the Cobra Clan, and especially from Ashe, who cleaved their bodies asunder with every stroke. It seemed to all that the battle was won, as the monsters began to leave the field in ones and twos, then increasing numbers until a full rout was in process, as the misshapen beasts began to run in terror from the dripping blade, blades of the gore-stained sisters. At that moment, the ground under their feet began to rumble, waking so violently that many of the sisters were thrown to the ground. Suddenly, a terrible fire-breathing beast roared up from a yawning crack in the ground. Its steely scaled body Equipped with sword-like claws and dagger-like fans, it rose up as high as the treetops. And then face turned to face, I said, How do you like me now, I say? <laughs> I am your aunt, Pono. How, I said, do you like me now? Acidic slime dripped. From her aunt's rubbery lips, killing the grass and smoking where it made contact with the ground. Your time has finished, weak fool, gloated her aunt. Even now, my supernatural agents are spreading the wisdom of Buruku to all corners of the earth. See? The beast breathed the gout of flame, and within it, they could see a vision of similar destruction in all the lands of the earth. And as knew it to be true, which rekindled her despair. The powerful are rising up to destroy you, sniveling weaklings, wherever and whoever you are in every land. The last part was said in such passionate hate. The monster seemed to calm itself and then chuckling through his yellow fang said, but <laughs> I am so glad that you, my dear, have seen fit to present yourself to me and join your weakling mother and my sister in death. <laughs> Come forward then and meet your end." And so saying, the monster swooped down, fangs clashing, as Bara, with a flewing, rolling evasion, narrowly escaped being decapitated. The beast was supernaturally quick, arching its neck backwards and snapping a thick branch of the tree with its jaws as it narrowly missed another cobra's sister. The cobras settled into a dance of evasion. Their speed and agility were such that the monster was unable to catch them. However, their swords were useless. Against its steely skin, and the behemoth was tireless in its pursuit of them. Eventually, the sisters tired and also began to give in to the feelings of hopelessness that the sorceress Porno was projecting at them. They began to feel that there really was no way to prevail against such a mighty assailant. The giant beast paused the ground, the smoking ruin where she, where she drooled. She surveyed the fatigued sisters, knowing that they had very little left, and that their demise was a certainty. As she looked back, soldiers slumped, ready for the killing blow that would soon follow. Then once again, she felt a warmth from her waist, and reaching down, she touched the silver serpent. And as soon as she touched it, hope rose in her breast. As she opened her mouth, emitting a loud resonant yell Boo! that immediately re-energised the rest of the sisters so that they stood taller and faced Pono defiantly once again, the serpent once more shone with a silver halo that swept Pono's magical despair from their minds like a mighty wind dissipating the fog as if it had never been. The sorceress of the Three Ridges was enraged by this change in their demeanour and intending to end the game immediately, reared up her abdomen expanding like a bellows as her body twisted, talking powerfully and emitting a shrieking ball of liquid sizzling fire that shot towards Ashe and the cobras with a horrifying speed. As the balefire raced towards them, Ashe holding the serpent, Serpentine Talisman remembered her Aunt Suna telling her that it might save her life one day. She bellowed the invocation, Iyahuca! And suddenly she and her sister Cobras were standing on the green hill miles away. Whilst some wicked monster roared in frustration and confusion unable to find them. The sisters of the cobra descended and entered the hill by way of mystical symbols known only to them and the other queen clans of Kallu. When they reached the hall by the underground river, the site of the most secret aspects of cobra initiation, Ashe regarded them all. Sisters, the threat we face is not a natural one nor can it be defeated by the force of arms. We must use the gift of our ancestors. For if we fail, this evil, this Buruku will take over the whole world and all people will become slaves to Pono's whim and the satisfaction of their own base desires. Aghast at the implications of this, Barrow asked, Do we invoke the the earth serpent then? Raise it from its slumber? Yes. But we have no way of knowing if it will return to sleep once it is awakened. And, And that will mean the end for us humans. Yes. But it will be a clean end. Not the slow attrition of corruption. This pestilential contagion of Buruku perhaps affecting even us at the end. She looked somberly at her sisters who were nodding, even Barra. The thought of becoming like Pono and the weird beast was more than enough to allay any doubts they might have had. Do we agree? Yes, they all replied in unison. So, so saying, the sisters started walking in a spiral pattern around the circular hall, smudging the air with incense from the burners, ready sconces on the wall. They moved with a practiced grace in intricate patterns that brought them each to sit in an inward-facing circle. And then they began to chant softly, humming the beginnings of the earth song, while Asher poured water into a serpent-shaped groove in the center of the stone floor. And they sang... Nyoka nyoka yoka, nyoka nyoka And of course I would like you to sing it with me So the song is Nyoka 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 Yoka, 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 Yoka. And please continue so that the magic can be wrought with the spell of the song, Yoka. And deep in their minds, the sisters traveled the arteries of the earth, connecting through serpent energy lines with power places in near and distant lands, Mjorka. The thrums became a roar, and each sister witnessed scenes of distant stars exploding, contracting, and cooling to become planets. They saw ancient and alien lands peopled by strange but noble folk. The creation of their own world was revealed to them in an ecstasy of sublime awareness as they danced in yoga 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 in their minds and the serpent nerve endings of their planet connected across galactic synapses with all others in the universe and universes it was dizzying it was inconceivable and yet they were witnesses and they would see, acknowledged by an awareness of such compassionate sublime magnitude that their souls wept in gratitude then their awarenesses funneled into singularity as an immense serpent began to awaken at the earth's core and rise to the surface. And they were the serpent, along with Nainka and Zuna and all their mothers stretching back to the beginning of time. They rose and the earth turned and shifted, craters opened, swallowing the evil perpetrators of Buruku and though Pono, the powerful flying behemoth, strove mightily to escape, a howling whirlwind firmly clutched the shrieking monster with impunity, throwing her down to the ground, which engulfed her despite her balefire, steel skin, and fearsome gnashing teeth. Earthquakes, screaming winds, and mighty waves roaring in from the ocean scoured the land in every corner, swallowing all of the advocates and minions of Buruku and leaving only exhausted cobra sisters collapsed on the stone floor in a cave and above the sound of the surf, the song of the land breath, and a few people who knew the value of silence. The End.
2: Hi, I'm Carrie Mussington, the founder and director of Mind Over Matter Project Suicide Prevention. And today I have lovely guest speakers here. Today is Beck and Debs, and down in the far left, we have Joe Fletcher who's representing the Mind Over Matter Project and raising awareness with us today, and um, giving male points of view questions as well. So Thank you for coming in to raise some awareness around what you're doing, who you are, what we have been through. And, you know, this conversation is around domestic abuse and domestic violence, however you want to put it. Um, please tell us why you, you have a project, right? We,
3: we run a business called Dare to Be You. And um, we have something called Me Academy, which we run within that business. And um, Vec does something called Finding Your Voice. Um, And I help people who um, have an idea and they want to run a business, a bit like you're doing here, this project, something that is very, very heart-led. Because very often when we have a transformation, we then want to do something out in the world exactly what you're doing. So um, I I help people that are are doing that. So that's what we are up to in the world.
2: Yeah, but why?
3: (laughs) There it is, the best question. (laughs) So um, our business is called Dare to Be You, and I think it's probably best if Deb starts with a story as to why, because it started with Deb. Deb's my auntie. I'm her niece. (laughs) So for over 20 years, I was in a very unhealthy, very um, abusive relationship. And um, I had three children that I was trying to trying to do my best to bring my children up. And obviously, that was their cousin. So she was around at, at this time and, and saw what was going on with with us as a family. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I really struggled because of the the abuse and, and what was going on for me, really. My own insecurities, my own uh, what was going on. And then... <clears throat> when my when my eldest daughter got to be 17 i sent her to live with my sister instead of leaving the relationship and so then i just felt more ashamed i I hated myself even more because i did that i didn't leave the relationship and then when my middle child my second daughter when she reached that age Um, she was actually quite feisty and she would cause a lot of arguments in the house and things were getting more and more and more dangerous by the moment and so it was it she actually um, she actually attempted suicide things got so bad for her that she attempted suicide and it was then that I knew I had to do something Um, and I actually reached out for help for my daughter not for help for me and in the end, um, it was women's aid then got involved and they said they were going to take my son away. Um, if if I didn't leave the relationship, my youngest child, he was going to be removed from the home if I didn't re- leave the relationship. And it was at that point that I left. And so I'm sure you can imagine I was in a right mess. And so were my children. They My eldest daughter was self-harming by this time. As I said, my middle daughter was in such a mess that she'd attempted suicide and my son was having anger issues. He was being watched at school. Um, So yeah, we were all in a mess and I had no idea what to do, had no idea how to parent these children, no idea how to sort myself out and turn my life around whatsoever. And um, I had a lot of counselling and that's when um, I was told my They tried to get my middle daughter. They wanted to diagnose her with mental health issues, um, but I actually resisted and wouldn't allow them to, to put that on her record or allow them to do anything because I was a little bit worried about what might happen if they put that on her records. um um, but we were all told that we would never be okay and that we had ptsd and the those kinds of that was what was going on for us we would always have panic attacks we would always have flashbacks we would always struggle and the best we could do was learn how to cope with what we'd all been through and i was trawling the internet one day and i came across um An understanding of how human experience works, of how we get to have this experience of of what is going on for us. And in that understanding, something, I just had a huge insight, something really shifted in me. And I saw that my children were not broken. I wasn't broken. We didn't didn't need any diagnosis that actually inside us somewhere. We were all, we were okay and that completely turned my life around and completely turned how i parented my children now i'm not saying i i heard that i deeply heard that but then when i tried to speak to other people about it when i tried to convey that and share that message everybody thought i'd gone slightly bonkers and they didn't understand what it was i was saying and they were going well well no obviously you are you there is people do have problems we there is you know people are broken and um, so." I became determined to learn more about this and get to a place where I could share this with people in a way that it was helpful not in a way that it turned people off or you know made people run away I wanted to be able to share it in a way that was helpful so I set about doing that and it was around about this time that uh, my niece who was struggling herself <laughs> kind of thought oh maybe auntie deb's got something here <laughs> yeah I am um as you know as we said we're auntie and niece so i'd watched all of that happen with my auntie and my cousins as a family we knew that it was a kind of an unhealthy environment um and then i found myself in a situation um in in an emotionally abusive unhealthy relationship and in this case it happened to be my boss um the lady that i worked for at the time and i just something in me knew the person to turn to was auntie deb because i would watched her come out the other side of something and i'd watched her change and become somebody that i admired and so um i had been working for a lady for about four four and a bit years um and there was a day that she went off on holiday for a few days and i just broke down on the office floor picked up my phone rang deb i don't think she understood a word i was saying because <laughs> <laughs> i was i was just sobbing. i was in bits i knew that i needed out Um, And, yeah, so from there, Deb kind of, because at the time I lived in the Midlands, um, Deb invited me down to stay with her in Devon, and she just started sharing with me what had gone on for her. Um, And I left that job and, yeah, slowly rebuilt my life with um, a lot of support and love from Deb, my sister, and, and a lot of my family and friends. And it was absolutely the seeing of that, the seeing of how much we both lost ourselves in those relationships. That inspired the Dare to Be You business because what we really see and what we saw for ourselves and what we've done is that when we turn up trying to be somebody else, trying to please somebody else, trying to be what we think is expected of us, it serves nobody, it does nothing for anybody. But when we turn up as who we truly are, giving ourselves to the world in service, like you're doing here with this, that helps. It helps me and it helps everybody else. And that's where Dare to Be You was born. So I think we've been doing this together for about three years nearly. Um, and Deb was doing it, I think, for a few years before that on, on her own. So that's kind of the birth of
2: Dare to Be You. Birth <laughs> of Dare to Be You. Oh, I, well, it's it's incredible. But it prompts me. It is incredible that, you know, it's nice. First of all, kind of you became, Debbie, you became a role model in that escapee situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But before you became that role model, Bex, watching Debbie go through what she went through, how did you internally, because I heard how your children felt. I heard what your children I can feel that pain in the children because I was always that child when I experienced it with my own parents. So relatable for the children, but as a friend, family, close member, seeing it, I want to hear that. I want the people to understand what it's like for the bystander.
3: Mm.
2: Can you explain how you felt before the victory of the escape plan? Do you know (laughs) what I mean?
3: Yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's one of those really obscure ones in a way, because at the time you're almost aware of it, but not aware of it. It's like a weird paradox, isn't it? Like, nothing at all surprised me when Deb left and Ev, all of the stuff kind of came out. It wasn't like, oh, I didn't see that. But sort of at the time... You know it's happening and you're not aware that it's happening, if that makes sense. It's kind of both at the same time. So there was definitely a part of me that was kind of looking and, and, you know, my cousin, um, one of my cousins is just a year younger than me. And I know she shared a couple of things with me. Um, And in my head, it was like, I don't really understand what's happening for you because it happens that my parents were not like that at all. Um, So I was kind of going, oh, okay, well, maybe it's just that your dad's strict or your mom doesn't you know know how to help you know and I couldn't quite get my head around what's happening for my cousin um, and there was also a part of me looking going don't really understand why auntie Deb's still married don't get that that's clearly you know they're not happy because we do kind of pick up on stuff like that don't we I mean I must have been probably a teenager when all of that was happening so I'm sure I have my own teenage stuff going on as well if you you know as we grow like that but it is there's definitely a point where you're watching going, don't quite understand what's happening here. Something doesn't feel right. But equally, who am I and what would I know? How could I possibly help with that?
2: So, um, yeah. so, and that, and that's the tricky part, knowing when to help, knowing when to step in and, and... and and who to turn to, because, again, family secrets, you know, and and it's it's not till lastminute.com it comes out when that's it, you know what I mean? But people around you can, in in some of these circumstances, you're pulling me back.
3: In some of these
2: circumstances, the isolation can happen, and the false mask is there, Um, and your friends can see it, And their attitude would be more like, what are you still with him for? Why? If you're unhappy, why don't you just leave? But deep down there's that sense of, hold on a minute, but you don't understand. And you know that brief conversation that you've got with those people, those friends? Brief. I said brief. If you can get the opportunity to have a conversation, out of arms, you know, out of arms each, because some of these individuals do not like you having friends. They don't want you around your family. So getting that conversation in has to be right if you're, in the, if you're listening to this. Getting that conversation in that minute and moment has to be right. How do we explain to someone what we're in without making, because we've been here, we've been here, prolonging off how we tell someone that we're in a bit of a mess. So how do you yeah, tell someone, Joe, is this difficult listening to?
4: Um, it's interesting because uh, my cousins were kind of like their dad was quite abusive to them, and so I can kind of relate to what um, Beck was saying. I mean, they were quite a bit older, and I was quite young then. So yeah, I mean, you do kind of pick up on some of the things, don't you, and that, and kind of. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of like I mean, what would you say to maybe a child who had come from an abusive um, like parents and that, how do they kind of um, let go of their anger and that? I mean, what would you say to them?
3: Um, I guess for me, what I have learned with, because that was the experience I had with my own children, obviously, um, and my children were, my son was nine when I got out of the relationship and, and my two daughters were uh, 17, Um and um, 20 respectively and yeah trying trying to what I see is what I learn about how human experience is created what I have what I always do and still do now with my children if you know they never go away completely do they (laughs) my daughter's actually in the garden as we speak now (laughs) Um, (laughs) and yeah so what I see is that It's about, for me, not getting too involved with the details of the story, if you like. And I don't, you know, when I use the word story, I don't mean, oh, you know, it's just a silly story you'll make up. The the, the narrative, the the details of what is going on. To try not to, when I work with people and, and with my own children, when we have conversations, I try to get out of the details and come back to what do we know is true? what do we know about human beings that is true that we have more resilience than we can imagine it, our resilience is like a bottomless pit however bad things we get how we have resilience to match that it's not resilience isn't something you can run out of it's not like you have a, a limited supply of it mm-hmm. and we also have intelligence our own intelligence running through us and the same limitless supply of that and intelligence that fits whatever it is that's going on for us and we have um we are love at our core we are okayness at our core So I tend to try and somehow in whatever words make sense to the person, you know, I might use completely different words to point to that. It will it will absolutely depend who is you're talking to, the age of them, what the situation is. But it is very much pointing to the possibilities of life and the fact that we've gotten over things. I don't you know, even if you're working with someone who's like seven or eight, they will have had a problem and gotten over it. They will have, you know, got upset about something and got past that. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of pointing that out to them that you felt upset and sad and bad about this thing and now you don't feel like that. What happened? How, how did that work? And then you can point to them to their thought system, how that works, how we do, how human beings are wired to get over things. It's built in to the system. And we are part of, the most amazing system in the universe and when you kind of get into that conversation that's a much more hopeful conversation and people then what comes out of that that I've noticed is what comes back is that people go and yeah I could look at it like this or I could think of this or I could do this and then they're coming up with their own solutions their own reasons their own and when we when we see our own solution to something it is way more powerful than if somebody says hey I've got this bit of advice for you if you look at it like this it will be better it's incredibly difficult for you to take that advice and look in that way Mm -hmm. but when you are pointed to who you truly are when you're pointed to what you have within you you kind of get curious about that and start to look and your mind opens and you see things. And then when you've seen it from inside, it's it's doable. You're doing it. You don't even... It's like, oh, my gosh, I see this differently. It... So I don't know if that completely answered the question. <laughs>
2: but... <laughs> uh, uh, in, in a sense, where you are now, I can feel where you are now because that, that change, that shift, the in control. I own... My own space. I own my own thought process. I can do anything I choose to do, and I can actually escape the situation if I wanted to get out of the situation. But I have to plan, right? Plan of action. So, it, it, and it's believing it. It's pep talking. And it's believing. It. It's 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 even when you hear other people's stories, it's you want to rescue, and there's ways of doing that. And there's ways of holding back. Because we understand that the discovery and the journey is all about self-right. So um going to talk about your children just briefly. Only because it's close to my heart. You know, you mentioned the word self-harm. You mentioned the word suicide. Generally, when somebody self-harms, that's a dirty habit. And um, there are different ways of doing it. The approach... Has that changed now for your children and they replaced it with something else?
3: What do you see? <laughs> I would say that has completely changed. Um, I don't know if I would use the word replace. I think it's just gone away. There is, like, if, if there was a replacement, what I would say is they've replaced it with healthy understanding of who they are. Like, so Deb's got three, I don't know um, if, if uh, this was clear, but Deb's got three children. Mm. Um, her eldest daughter, who lives in London, no longer South Carms, is very healthy and happy. And, right. um, you know, pandemic aside, has a very lovely life in London. <laughs> 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 um, her middle daughter is uh, pregnant with her second child yep. and has yep. a very healthy relationship with her husband. Uh, no suicidal anything. She loves her life and... Um, yeah was around playing in the garden with her son today because it's a beautiful spring day and Deb's youngest um her son has (laughs) I mean maybe you should share some of what's going on for him because he is just blowing our minds at the moment he
2: has
3: turned from an a a nine an angry nine-year-old little boy into an incredible 23 year old young man absolutely incredible
2: and and, and and the thing is that I want to point out that it People say, "Oh, we're on here. We're we're giving our personal business. We have to. We have to. We have no secrets, otherwise we can't tell you the success stories." But the mm-hmm. thing is, when we do have children, uh, well, they men or grow grow up, obviously. You know, whatever age they are, the 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 guests, the speakers, they're telling a story. The children are in the background somewhere, and they're hearing their parents talking about life and also talking about their parents you know, in in maybe in a way that highlights one of the parents and puts them in a, a, I wouldn't say a bad light, I would look at it highlights the awareness. That's what it does. And unfortunately, it can become where some of the kids think, oh, it's embarrassing, it's shameful, and then that becomes an issue again. And also the people that are listening that are related Nobody thinks about that. I know I do, and I do my lies. I think I'm talking about these people in past tense. We never mention the names. We don't need to mention the names. There is a story there, but we're trying to sell you that This is the outcome. This is what we did to prevent ourselves from continuing in the same pattern and relationships. You had to do something for the rescue your children. So really, you shoe them that it wasn't right. And you're showing your friends that it wasn't right. And you're showing the whole world it isn't right. So when we feel guilt, because that's the thing, that's the problem that we have, isn't it? Guilt. Guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. So when we feel guilt, we tend to not tell our stories. And therefore the pattern continues because we're just a few women here and men that can get out a conversation And if it wasn't for technology, there'd be a lot more going on behind closed doors. And when we come and tell our testimonies, our children are aware of what we do and are supportive of what we do. What do they want to do now? Rescue the world as well? (laughs)
3: <laughs> um, well my my yeah. children are, are, are great and they they know what i do and they know that i share things about them yeah. they are aware of that um and one of the things that i would say one of the things that i saw one of the slight hesitations that i have sometimes when i get involved in these conversations is using the word that i was in an abusive relationship because that's how society looks at it that's how it's viewed What I see is that two incredibly insecure people, me and my husband, two incredibly insecure people came together. And one of us was on one side of the pendulum and one of us was on the other side. We were kind of here and here. And I was no more healthy and in a good place than he was. It just so happened that he showed it in one way and I showed it in another way. And I have nothing but love for him i understand understanding how human experience is created um i this is not not about bad mouthing him or blame i don't think blame it's pointless i understand exactly why he did what he did and i know one of um the, the the biggest fears of um our son my my son is that he would follow in that Path and, and do those same things and those same behaviors. And what I see is important is breaking that cycle, breaking that to to give him a chance to do something to show up differently. And my two daughters, and that's what I see as important. And that is why I share the story. And it's not you know if anyone is in this place and they're saying, well, I will never forgive my abuser and never forgive. That's fine. I I totally totally understand that, but forgiveness is a huge part of the journey to to being free to being happy to to living a, a free and beautiful life so
2: and that word you see we get bent on the words but we have to understand the feeling and understand that emotion what we're letting go of. so don't get honed in on the word when when someone says forgive what i would say that dwelling on the past tense it happens we've got a story we don't I don't go back with when I'm talking to people, I don't go back with this. There's, there's no point. I just say, Okay, you're relatable. It happens. We can't change that. But it is people that repeat it to somebody else over and over and over again. They're stuck and they need to find another way and another outlet. And when people say, No, I'll never forgive him. I can understand that, but it's more about, okay, when you use that word, who's got the power? Who has got the control? He has more hold on you and your mind because you are unforgivable. You don't have to say the words to him. You just need to let go, him or her. Sorry. It's not to assume it's just men
3: yeah it can be forgiving yourself to me it was more about forgiving me when i forgive yeah. me there was nothing to when i saw that and like you say yeah it, it is words but when i saw that there was nothing or any anything else that was it it was done it was like oh yeah we we, we were all doing the best we could with the thinking we had in that moment that looked real and true yeah well, and that, i can see that I, well i explain
2: to people um past I right, you know we I met up with my abuser, I would say past abuser, I would say at the time I called him an abuser. But when I look now, I can look at the history, I can look at the background, I can look at what he also as a child went through that put that burden on him. So I, I look at these people as lost souls that didn't have that guidance. Um and that picked up learnt behaviour so you we get that and this is where it's so important to break that cycle isn't it and absolutely
3: absolutely.
2: completely um and choices gives these children a choice as well Mm -hmm. have their voices heard because they're unheard and I love the fact that you resented giving getting your kids a label but we can under I can take PTSD you know past tense I use it as past tense look at that word um Mm -hmm. we can take that as but then then again, they decide not to carry these and 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 be and free up your mind don't get bogged down with the labels and that's what I always teach these labels they they make you ill sometimes you you're constantly telling the story of the illness rather than the success of yeah. where you're going so it's quite nice to hear the outcome of your children or where they are men and women now um, doing amazing things and and Brilliant My oh mind- you, you, you're, you're incredible the the, the tightness the knit, the closeness that you've got all together now talking about these things openly but most of all supportive in the things that you're doing it's incredible and that's what I call it success you know where there's no secrets no hiding anymore and you're yeah. teaching people from your past experiences to overcome. And empower. Oh man, it's brilliant. And and not do you just do women or do you do you, do you help men as well? Yeah, yeah, we work with men and women. We we there are more women in our
3: community, but I just yeah. think that's probably because we're women. i d I don't know. But yeah, mm-hmm. we, we absolutely I mean we have done we do retreats and all sorts of things and we have had calls and retreats where there's been more men than women, <laughs> but, but yeah. generally. So
2: how do the women feel being around men? Because I'm all for, I believe that we can't tarnish everyone with the same brush. Oh, every situation is not going to be the same with the next person, is it? But it, yeah. and, and, but this is, this is not entirely true. Because if we do not prepare our minds, we will go into that issue again and again and again and again. Yeah. And we've heard the old saying, they don't choose you, uh, <laughs> you, you don't choose them, they choose you. And then again, I'll have to say, hold on a minute. Nah, I'm the one who stopped by and had a conversation with that, you I? I'm the one who sat there and said, yeah, 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 come over to my place. I'm the one that enticed the person straight away without getting to date them or understand them or or, or listen to the background or anything like that. I'm the one that plunged myself from out of one relationship into another without healing or where did it go wrong or look at myself. What was my weakness? And I realised through my weaknesses, I gave too much away of me. Strip, 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 strip strip to please everybody but me. (laughs) And I think that's... Having your life back is the most liberating thing ever, but Beck will give you... Well, will go back. I, I know this is intriguing. Please... Joe, just do that when you want to jump in. But, Vic, going back yeah. to the workplace, mm. after you're hearing that some, and this is a common factor again, after you hear that somebody is going through a, a turbulent time in relation, I'm going to put it out what's relatable to some of the audience, um, What considered as abuse within the home, all right? Domestic. Yeah. They call it domestic because it's within the home. But then when you go to the workplace and you get it there as well, isn't that a trigger for what you have already gone through at home? If you have been in that situation of domestic violence or abuse, and then you go to the workplace or, or anything like that, you then get it again. The control, the belittling, the and then it becomes another trigger from the first event. Now, I'm not suggesting that happened with you, but I'm saying that that can happen. For me, for instance, been there, go to work, and then I'm mistreated at work. That becomes an added trigger, doesn't it, on top of all the other triggers. So it's easy to put all of this in a conversation and how quick it happens. But in actual fact, it took me 12 years to get out of my relationship. 12 years... And even maybe up to a year to get out of the job that I was in courage not everyone has a friend what suggestions would you have between you both into what does someone do when they are going through harassment or being belittled at work in the workplace what what if you didn't have Deb's what would else would you have done but she did <laughs> <laughs> she did yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, just to kind of touch on what you started with there. I mean, I hadn't, until that workplace, I hadn't been in any kind of abusive situation. But what I noticed happened to me, I kind of liked what you're talking about with the triggers there. When I left that workplace, I went and got another job. Um, and for about the first six months in that job, every time my boss asked to speak to me, I felt my heart rates increase. Mm. And I was like, oh, no, what have I done wrong? And it took, like you say, we're talking about this in in a short kind of recording here, it sounds like it takes seconds sometimes, but it didn't, you know, it took, well, there was at least a six month period where I was constantly kind of going, oh my gosh, my boss wants to talk. And in actual fact, in that job, the the people I was working for were really, truly lovely and actually were coming to ask me to do extra work because I was doing so well and things like that. But in my mind, I was going, oh my gosh, when my boss wants to talk to me, I'm in trouble. And my whole body reacted and, you know, I, I struggled with anxiety for a very long time. Um, and it took a lot of looking at myself, getting to know who I was, understanding how that anxiety plays out through me for that to slowly disappear. And it is, for me, the kind of suggestion, if you like, what, what to do if you're in that kind of situation is just begin to look within, like Deb was talking about earlier, what we do, what we share and what we point people to is the knowing that within, we have a diamond, a part of us that is solid, that can't be damaged, that can't be hurt. And that was the conversation I was having with Deb when I first started my new job, week after week after week. She was just gently reminding me, you're okay, actually. Like what's happened through you so far it's just another invitation to come back and see your diamond we forget to polish our inner diamond don't we like that essence of who we are it needs polishing you know we polish and hoover our houses but we forget to to do that with ourselves and that that conversation i was regularly having with Deb was my way of polishing my diamond until it shone so brightly that you can't miss it now And I don't even remember exactly how and when that changed for me. But at some point, I started enjoying when my boss was walking towards me. Oh, good, what, you know, what job has he got now? And what promotion might I be able to aim for next? And my workplace became a lot more fun. I had a lot of fun in the the first job I had after I left that workplace, before I started working with Deb. I I did four years at a civil service job. And I had a ton of fun because I really got to know who I was inside,
2: mm.
3: and it wakes up an innate wisdom that we all have. And then, you know, if you don't have an auntie Deb to call, on you, you'll know what to do. You'll know where to go. You'll know who to turn to. Because we do
2: have people. Yeah. There, 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 there is. If we use our voice, and if we don't use our voice, then no one will know. Okay. And we expect people to uh, find the answer, or somebody might be listening to this right now and thinking, "Yeah, but I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do." And you're saying you do have someone to turn to. I, I, I... <sighs> sometimes you feel alone in it. Yeah, you definitely feel. You can definitely feel alone. And but... the and the problem that and and the issues that you raise. Debbie was in particular where the choices were children or yeah love life basically (laughs) Um, I think I like put it that way your love life or your children yeah because that's what you're looking at isn't it or the word family saving our family what is a family if it's broken (laughs) You know, it becomes individual souls in a in in a hub, but there are individual souls in there, and so you mentioned the choice of children, where and I'm, this is relatable to myself again, and it will be relatable to a lot of people. What do you say to people that are given that choice by the services that are involved? when it comes to their children and their love, lover?
3: I would say make the, the we have to make the choice in in the moment, if, if that choice is given to us, we have to make the choice in the moment that, given the thinking we have on what looks true, we have to make what looks like the best choice in that moment and, for me, like when we talked about, there is, we have gotten an in and knowing who to turn to. We do know if anyone is watching this, there are four people on this screen. If you're thinking I don't know who to turn to, there are four people on this screen that that could be a starting point right. if you're watching this. And you know, there there is there is always something. There is there is always a way forward. And what I would say is because with within us we have everything we need within ourselves now i'm not saying that's always easy to see i'm not saying and i'm not saying that we're not going to make bad choices sometimes but what i can see now the hope in what this is and and the message that we share is yeah i did those things i made you know with the person i am now i i would make a different choice now but i made the choice that was the best choice i could make in that moment Mm. um and yeah, you know, I, I was filled with guilt and shame and self hatred and all of those things. But seeing past that, seeing the truth of who I am and pointing my children to the truth of who they are has brought us all back round to a place of, you know, I'm so close with my children now and we the, there is so much love and so much support and, and in, in our family. And it's like all this is not lost. Ever, and even though you know, even sometimes if if you don't reconcile with your ch- children, if you don't get your children back, there is still that doesn't change this diamond that you have inside it doesn't change who you are it doesn't we can tell the story that my life is ruined because of da 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 da, or we can tell the story this made me this 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 you know has me out in the world doing what I'm doing. And what it looks like to me is that no matter what life gives us, we can, we can, we get to make of that what we do and we can bring, make everything work in our favour or we can make anything work Mm -hmm. against us. And what I see now is moment to moment, we have a, we have fun making absolutely everything be in our favour. And it looks to me, the more that that's what I'm looking for, the more that that's what I see. That is the experience I get. Just looks like to me, life unfolds in front of me, in, you know, every day. It's like, here's your red carpet, you know, get on with it. It's really great, isn't it? And gen- genuinely, Beck and I just have so much fun and we have just such an amazing life. We could tell the story that it's not like that. But it, or we could tell the story that it is like that and we choose to tell the story that it is like that and that's our lived experience
2: mm-hmm.
3: and people yeah. around us get infected by that and start to have a similar lived experience they start to have that too and start to see places they're like wow yeah we're enjoying this too it, yeah it's it it's infectious and
2: that, yeah and that's the thing you know I, we what we're doing we're raising awareness right all of us are here, we've come together Shh, do you know someone who will talk? Yeah, you Yes. Yeah, I know somebody. got an amazing lady. It's called Deb and, uh, Deb and Beck. You know, I'll, I'll see if they'll talk. Because he's heard your story. <laughs> so because he heard your story, he, he Joe wanted to share your story with me. And you're now sharing that story with everybody that is going to watch this. Because it will go on all the platforms as awareness. Uh, yes. We're not saying life was a bed of roses for us. No, we're not. Oh, well, gosh, no, we're not saying that. And we're not saying that we hate all men because we had a bad experience.
3: Oh, I love men. They're great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, but we do deprive ourselves, don't we? I will say that. If you haven't got your mind prepped and ready yet, sometimes you will. You've got to think Think of the steps that you're taking and the decisions that you're making and why you have the need to want to be loved by somebody else because this is the mistakes that a lot of... I say mistakes, they're not mistakes, it's part of the journey. Part of the process that made me. Mm -hmm. That we go from one relationship to another and we haven't quite figured out the part that we lost about ourselves. So we go into another that part that we once had isn't there anymore. It's there, but you, you, you don't utilize it. So then somebody else that you get with very quickly has an expectation. No, I don't want you speaking to him anymore. So you drop that part of you as well. And so that's another. That's two parts of you. And then, no, you're not going there anymore. It's not my kind of thing. You drop another part of you. And can you see what I'm saying? You start pulling parts of who you Really was because when you meet somebody, that's really you at the beginning. And then you you start to role play into Can I get your dinner for you, love? Because you, you you know what do you want to eat? No, I don't like that. And this is where the arguments come in because they're expectations of when you get together as couples. Um, what is designed to be a a, a home or family life or what marriage should look like Trust me, there's no manual for that marriage thing, but it's definitely not in the movies, okay, and when you're dealing with people it's it's can you have an intellectual conversation? Can you actually listen to what the what somebody's request is? um somebody might have a need, but they're asking for a direction, you know, so what you're doing and what I'm doing is giving people directions to a healthier lifestyle healthy choice to replace the self harm to replace the suicide to replace the alcohol replace the the, the addiction which this strip that word back sorry I'm quite my raw approach <laughs> Let's strip that word back addiction habit need comfort To just take the edge off. But it doesn't take you out of the situation or change the situation. You've got to do that. And what you're asking for is awareness on the how and where to go. And how did you do it? How did you get yourself out of it? And that's what you're about. And that's what I'm about. And that's that's what Joe's about. We talk about this pursuit of the truth. Um, Some people can, let's not get stuck on labels as well. Some people can use the word law of attraction. Law of attraction for me means positive thinking. Let's replace the negative thinking with the positive. Pursuit of the truth is exactly the same for me. Let's replace the negative with the positive and own this. And we can explore everything that we, we're we capable of doing. Um, we, there are no limitations. Only we put limitations on ourselves and boundaries.
3: Absolutely. And I realise
2: that. I was depriving myself of love because of past experiences. But then I had to understand what love was and it isn't in somebody else.
3: No. It's... In ourselves. All the love we will ever need
2: comes from within. Joe. We
3: always had it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Joe, from a male point review, please give us yes feedback. back. <laughs> Poor old Joe, can't get a word in.
4: <laughs> no, it's just listening, it's really great. It's, um... it's um... Yeah, I mean how, what would you kind of say to men then because I mean kind of I men I've spoken to they it's kind of a stigma like an embarrassment on it as well as being male you're kind of afraid that people will see you weak for being in an abusive relationship so what would you kind of say to them people and um, kind of overcome that so they can speak out?
3: I, I, for me that's about um, one of the things I think we do far too often is separate out and it's like we're all human that's you know male and female that's just more labels isn't it and they're not helpful when they're not helpful and i know for me like everything you're saying there about the shame of it and the embarrassment of it that's how i felt
2: mm-hmm. like
3: i was really i was such a strong person you know in my friends group i was the strong one i was the wise one and i ended up in an abusive relationship the embarrassment and the shame of that was i can't tell you the amount of things that i said to cover up for what was going on, like the amount of excuses I came up with, and it's beginning to see that we're all the same, and whether whether you're male or female, whether it was a marriage or a working situation, anything at all, no new problems, come back (laughs) to knowing the place where we're the same, and it starts to open up a space of sharing.
2: Do you want to elaborate just on that part about your embarrassment and going out there to yeah. people? A lot of people, and I'm going to go on something that resonated because it rung a bell for me. When I mean, soon as you said it, it was a trigger to something that happened, and a, a lot of your friends in the past will, they might not see you for a while. And then when you've left the relationship, in comes the judgment. So I want people to be aware of what you say to people when they tell you that they're in an, onto a new chapter. Because some of the things that people say, what, well, you're married again? You Yeah, you, Really? Again? What? How many times have you been married again now? And then they start to mock you. And what they're doing is victim-blaming, in a sense, because they're trying to hold you back where you should, what you left, which was a right decision to leave. Mm. And so it becomes... An added barrier where people won't approach somebody else and tell you their story because it is statements like that. You're married again. What happened to your last husband? Then oh, what? Haven't you learnt your lesson? You. It's. It's the. The lesson is not to tell you next time because you will <laughs> you you're you're not helpful in that discussion. You need to understand that. People out there need to understand. What, and your friends are telling you something that happened to them. Support them in that conversation. Support them and say to them, "I am so glad that you you are back in control of your space." And 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 uh, what? And say something positive. Don't put them back in the past where they've moved from, and criticize. And that's just something that I felt I needed to say. <laughs> 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 I, I i needed to say it because that that happened to me and what it did to me it stopped me from reaching out it stopped me from telling the next friend it stopped me and it silenced me and i i think the last result is calling the police isn't it that's the last result um when you're reluctant to keep telling your friends and this that and the, other, the last result sometimes can be calling the police That can be a last resort. Some people just get up and leave um, and have that safety plan. Women's aid, you mentioned. Domestic violence abuse hotlines, they're there. Have them, store them, but maybe not so much always in your phone. And I'm not going to put the methods out here, but think beyond the box of what you could do as a safety plan. If I told the safety plans on here, then... Some of the people that are not healthy will look for those safety plans to prevent those safety plans. I was a pointless exercise me putting safety plans out here, but you should know that you can turn to groups though that are perhaps had that lived experience and say they're willing to help. As you said, you 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 know um, reasons to lived experience there to be you. Dare to be you. Step out of your comfort zone if you're uncomfortable and move forward, but have a safety plan. Most people do have technology, don't they? they a lot of people have these mobile phones. Just be mindful of those mindful mobile phones and the tracker devices. That's something I can put out. <laughs> okay? Um, be mindful of your emails as well. That's something I can put out because one of the things about control is that we're monitoring, they put this little spyware on my emails and every time I emailed, they understood what I was, who I was emailing or what, what, where what I was on and everything else. That's something I can put out. So when we're talking about safety plans, confide in someone. We have to, but we must not beat around the bush asking strictly for help and guidance to move forward. Dare to be you is sitting here waiting to help you and you can reach them at www.daretobeyou.co.uk I'll say it again, uk They're willing, they're able, the hand is out. You've just got to take one step and go and find a little bit more discovery about it. You know, you know, I what's your how can they other than the the website is there an opening and a closing time? Do you have your boundaries? (laughs)
3: <laughs> <Not> really? <laughs> we love what we do we're here pretty much all the time we've got our, our, our facebook group is a really really good um way to to connect with us we've got a facebook group and that's dare to be you um oh. and with a purple heart at the end of it um yeah so you can connect with us on there that's a, a really good place and we put there's always things going on we've always got Coffee mornings and stuff going on in our Facebook group that you can get involved with. And that is very, it's all very generic. So there's nothing like you were talking about the um, safety plans and being, you know, there's there's a lot of support in that group that isn't, that, that is very, Generic, it's incredibly helpful for people who've been in these situations because obviously both Beck and I have have experienced this So we can help you in that way, but it wouldn't necessarily look as if that's what it is You're getting a lot of really good help and support
2: Yeah, this is a a me time experience. I always call that when people come to my workshops We call it me I call it me time a time to just just Shut everything else out and concentrate on what that message is that you're trying to understand, so I call that me time, and we don't have enough me time, do we? We don't make enough time juggling perhaps children and perhaps looking after loved ones, etc, and that routine and work etc we, we there's not enough time in the day they say time is all we have, but we don't stop and do that me time, and that's what about important. You?
3: One of the programs that we do is Me Academy. And that is literally what we do is learn about, we teach people about themselves. We teach people what's going on for you. And that to me, I think, is the biggest gift we can ever give anyone. Because from an understanding of who we truly are, we do great things in the world. Yeah,
2: you too. I'm I'm really excited. You know what? I'm excited. I'm like, yeah, there's more help. Because now I have a now you see I've heard your story I've heard I, I I've heard Sue you're going to come back on the seventeenth of J- July we are going big with awareness around everything that you need to know to empower yourself we want to show you where we've come from to where you can go we want to give you solutions um, at your fingertips so you can build uh, and rebuild and rediscover um, wow Joe. Joe's Joe's, going to go off. (laughs) He's going to go and find another male version of a domestic violence. Watch this. Um, and, And hear their stories. I love the fact of bringing men and women together to... Uh, in the same arena. I don't believe it's helpful when you've got um, men doing projects about women and women doing projects about men. It's showing, it, it's, it's causing them to the divide. You're hearing different stories, different approaches, but you're hearing their experiences and you're taking their experiences and you sometimes won't think for yourself because you think it's the way, because it's a man's way. No, it's not. If you want to understand what what, what nurturing individuals of different species is we have to come together and learn about each other Absolutely, because all of this ego what it's like uh, should men not tell no I'm sorry men hurt men cry too don't give me a don't because you might have been taught not to but in you might express another way and we've been at the end of those expressions so we're gonna tell. we want to tell you so you might have had bum relationships where you just weren't compatible but if you tarnish everybody with the same brush and you stay, you carry on with that attitude and it stays the same attitude, then all you do is you deprive yourself from that one, that one that got away. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, thank you. You you know, I'm looking forward to July the 17th bringing men and women. So if you have an experience and you want to share, please contact. You can leave a telephone message on 0139. Four, three, eight, six, nine, oh, five. That's oh one three nine four, three eight six nine oh five. I thought I'd have that handy today. Um, if you have any questions around Deb and Beck's conversation and, and Joe's conversation today, my conversation today, then yeah, please don't hesitate to get in touch to DareToBeYou.co.uk um, or www oh momproject.co.uk but i prefer you a telephone conversation to be honest so i can understand the love language that you're speaking so but please you can visit there to be you on facebook you heard it and i'm, I'm going to spread that message around around because it's helpful please do pop onto the mom project mental health awareness uh, suicide prevention real talk and put in your information in there and do use that platform to spread the messages that you want out there as well. We're all in this together. It's not about, oh, it's mine and it's yours. No, there's a message there and it has to reach somebody. And so thank you. Joe. final words, see us out. Is there anything else you want to say?
4: I mean, I think you covered everything, don't you? And I think it's, <laughs> that, that, that the wisdom is within you, isn't it? And the knowledge to know what to do, that when you do go quiet and that kind of voice and feeling comes, it will kind of help you and the kind of universe is guiding you, isn't it? That when you kind of get past your um, <laughs> yes. busy
3: thinking and you're kind of like
4: overly kind of stuck, that there is a kind of um, guidance there for you, so. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you you so, so, so much for coming. And I know this is not going to be a one-off because, you know, sometimes when you're dealing with technology, it rotates and pushes down the bottom. So let's bring you back again to, and perhaps if somebody else would like to come and say how they've benefited from your project, um, then bring them back as well. This is what the platform's there. We want that awareness out as much as possible. So let's get it out there. Come back again, and thank you so much. You were definitely dared to be you, didn't you? (laughs) 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 Right. So thank you. Right. So right.
5: Or something, a a sort of a renowned um, engineer in Sydney that does specifically hip hop. He said, "Man, that was that was really dark." He goes, "I didn't know all of that." So. And then I put it on Scott Morrison, the current Prime Minister's Facebook page, and put it on John Howard, the ex-Prime Minister's Facebook page. And two days later, and it was on YouTube, it was a YouTube link. So I'd, I'd done all the images from newspaper clippings and things that the Prime Minister had done. And then YouTube banned me, or banned the track, and said it was hate speech. And my response then was, if I was to act as Adolf Hitler and do the whole thing about Jews, would you ban me and say, take your speech? Of course you wouldn't, because I'm taking on the role of a political figure that did all of those things. But now you're censoring me, which is happening all over the world. Lee Camp is dealing with it. Noam Chomsky, he, he doesn't get on television. Chris Hedges. You see all of these, Assange is in prison, Chelsea Manning, um, Snowden's overseas. So you see big tech companies maintaining the system of capitalism by censoring anything that has anything to do with love, sharing, healing, dealing with the past, the history that is ever-present. So since then, I mean, I used to put rap tracks all over Scott Morrison's Facebook page. Uh, My favorite rap is Immortal Technique. Um,
2: I don't even know who these people are. I really don't know. These are the
5: revolutionary... This is what rap is really about. This is the revolutionary movement of a historical and socio-political analysis of what colonization is and how it operates, how those transnational companies move in saying, we're bringing democracy, we're bringing white Jesus, we're bringing civilization. And then they steal everything. And the church is involved. The Vatican is the first corporation in the guise of white Jesus that said, we're bringing you salvation. And what the Catholic Church did is enslave the planet. It's the one that cut up um, Africa. It's the Catholic Church was... A vindictive nasty and still is empire and it's used so many methods you know the Spanish Inquisition for example is based on something called Unum Sanctum where you're already guilty because if you're sin then you're already guilty you can't become innocent you can accept white Jesus into your heart to get credit to get into heaven for your debt which is sin eve's sin but it's a scam there was no superhero that flew on water so all of these rappers that i mentioned like krs1 public enemy um the dead presidents which is based on the pictures of the dead presidents on the dollar bills um immortal technique is my favorite um these rappers in, in England you have Loki um, are the revolution so African artistry or African if we if we think of rap as a reactionary modality that actually dissects what is happening on this planet it is a very powerful form of conscious uplift and what they're doing what America has do- done is used rap and taken the worst parts of it, and for the most part, amped up the worst parts of gangster, you know, in order to frame Africans in a particular way. But here's the thing African American culture is so fucking dope that when people, when white kids see it, what are they emulating? See, if Africans brought humanity into existence, if the black man and black woman were the first human beings on the planet, the reason the culture is so powerful is because they've been here the longest. Their gene is the dominant gene on this planet, right? Because if a, if a, a white man cannot turn, cannot create a color, right, but a black the the black man and black woman has brought into being every spectrum of human being on this planet. You can only get the Caucasian from the genetic mutation of albinism. That's how we think the white man came into existence, my mother's people. So African culture, especially from America, has created blues, rhythm, hip-hop. They keep saying... Well, uh, uh, the West brought classical music. Beethoven was black. <laughs> Every in it. Right. If there was a guy called Jesus, we know there was a couple of guys that were revolutionary at the time. Um, a guy called Apollyonus of Tyana, another guy called Yehawah bin Pandera. I mean, they were black men. The original Jesus is based on the um, Horus from which you get the word hours horoscope because it's time it's the time that the sun circles the planet over a 26,000 year period so African American culture is very powerful but it can be used against the people to sell crack and make it look cool so there's a whole array of rappers that are really looking at how America uses rap to demean and de- diminish um, African consciousness, so over here in Australia, you know there's a lot of slam nights and poetry nights that I go to and rap nights, and people are really cottoning on to that these transnationals are white supremacist elite organizations that are a, a corrupt body politic of thieving, hoarding, stealing, raping, pedophile elites and our bunch over here in Australia are no different. You know, Australia is involved with what's called the Five Eyes Alliance, which is a white colonial pact. It's England, Canada, Australia, New Zealand and America, the bullies of the world. So, you know, for me, rap is a, a gateway for expanding consciousness. I say to everybody, listen to all of Immortal Technique stuff. I had to research the lyrics because I was like, what the hell is he talking about? I'd never heard. I'd always thought Egypt was somewhere in the Middle East. So when he said no, when people said to me and, you know, think about that. I'm pushing 50. And I never thought of Egypt as Africa, because in order to say Europeans as white and supreme and brought civilization, they have to separate Egypt from the African continent because those pyramids are there. And those pyramids are the most superior thing that we have seen on planet Earth that we know of. They don't know how they've built them. It's got the, the radius and the diameter of planet Earth in from the exterior of the pyramid, if you put a circle around it. It's got the distance from here to the moon to the sun. It's a whole holistic, unified field theory for how reality came into being and contains in it astrology, astronomy, the seven liberal arts, all of the things that... The European has said, we came up with that in Greece. And it turns out, no, you fucking didn't. Right? And they've limited history to, you know, 6,000 years ago, Adam and Eve came into being. Right? Thereby obfuscating and negating the African system known as the Kemetic Mystery Systems, which is a a scientific mathematical exploration for how we came into being. Um, and it's it it overrides this ridiculous story or the perception of this ridiculous story of Adam and Eve. Because Adam and Eve, if you look at it, is in reality a fraudulent scam told by a bunch of repressed homosexual priests, closet paedophile priests, and repressed
2: Heterosexual
5: priests.
2: Because it was a... I mean, I was brought up on that that concept of Adam and Eve. Um, So just hear it from my point of view of... I don't study the things that you study, but what, growing up, Adam and Eve? Well, then we'll all be related then, wouldn't we? Okay, hold on a minute. Adam and Eve, isn't that... When they have children and then have children... And I always was asking this question. This is really silly. If Adam and Eve were the only people here on earth, and Eve's way of sinning was Adam took a bite, who took, somebody took a bite of somebody's apple, yeah? Basically, what they're saying is they had sex. And they did see, yeah, that's what they're, they're trying to say that something about their clothes, and and I can't even remember the story about Adam and Eve. All I know is that it was supposed to be Adam and Eve, were supposed to be the ones that started the population, which never actually made any sense to me. I never read the Bible. I did, and, and at school, they enforced that we went to um, the choir at Christmas. And then when you would read those, listen to some of the words, it was so jargoned. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand it. And it felt that everything that we were going to do would be a sin. And in my, when my brother turned in to minister um, to minister, to, 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 pre- to do a preacher, I felt ten times worse abused by the church methods than uh, what I was dealing with. Their, their method for dealing with uh, depression is preach to God. But no sorry there needs to be actions here because if we're telling you something that's going on you cannot ignore it. it has to be if we're the tools the tools for society to help one another through then we have different thought processes and different experiences different um, different qualifications within ourselves Do you know what I mean we're, we we know the craftsmanship how you dictate it about your craftsmanship you had a woodcutter, a, a, um, what else? A carpenter, um, a fisherman, people that knew how to do things. Somebody knew how to build, and and you take that concept and you realise within the humanity that we are all tools and we know how to build, but we're being dictated to. That's what you're going. That's where you're going with this, um, and we are also being brainwashed. By attending churches thinking that, they're, that we're going to be saved by the person that's preaching out to us. No, sorry. They're collecting the financial and offer finances. I always thought it doesn't cost to help a human being by passing over knowledge. And that's the mistake that I've identified within going to church, giving them your tithes. The majority of your work, and when they started to say to my son, "Give me your tithes, give me your tithes," I thought, "Why? Now I know how charity is run. Why? Because the knowledge you're paying for knowledge. You shouldn't be paying for knowledge. But people got greedy, and based on that knowledge, this comes the dictatorship. What you can And you cannot do. Because nobody. They don't want you to be above. They don't want you to be above. But spiritually. We do hold that power. To create. And we get sucked in. To the old methods. Of what everything. Had happened. But the more we look at. How dismissive they are with abuse. um, How dismissive they are with mental health. The more we can say what is the agenda and it is about when we look at learnt behaviour, what we're learning from one another, uh, it's very clear that the media heightens it. We didn't know or talk or speak of what was happening behind closed doors. Whether they have a title over them, whether they're, your, whether they're a judge or whether they're not a judge. We never talked about what happens behind closed doors until the media came along. When the media come along, it heightened everything. They did it for their own gain. But in fact, we're lab rats. And it's the people that hold the power. But the people are waking up to what's going on. Because the false prophet is now officially here. And they write that so you can see it, and you can see what's coming. But I always said to you, I, never, I got my head around this biblical stuff, was there was not paper years ago. In fact, the dinosaurs and all of that stuff. There was no paper, there was no ink, there was, there was no, definitely was was no paper. And they used tablets, right, to engrave uh, and learn things. So the bible couldn't have been written in that format but what i got what i get in today 2020 is is about because i'm quite spiritual and i when we talk about a god we talk about something something a feeling okay and i i have gone through many of these churches i actually tell you this story i actually went to this place once i said I'd been moved to another location. I said, I'm looking for a gospel church. And they go, yes, dear, this is the gospel church. I I attended, and it wasn't gospel. And then I clicked. It clicked. It was the first time it clicked in my entire life. When you talk about gospel, I'm thinking this. The happy, chappy, clappy churches. But that's not it. Gospel means the message. The message. What is the message? What is the message that we're teaching here? And kindness comes into it, but what I found through many stories that people were being raped by um, by that very same church. They were being groomed. All of them. They they were... all of the churches. But except for when you do get the individual person, they don't actually realise that they are actually doing it. They feel that this is the way. Follow me, because I'm I'd be a classic for healing. I've recommended to people, go to church. And the reason why I said that is it's not really for those people, me. I can't sit there, don't want to really listen. The church that I went to was about music. And I know that music, we all move, we, when, when you hit music, what happens? We move. We're spiritual creatures, right? And so when the church happened with the music because I remember going to churches when people was just preaching. And people were sleeping in the church. Me included. Couldn't be dealing with that. But when they put the music in. They changed it into a sort of a karaoke. Where you could see the words. And then see. That was different. Because it realised that I was only going for myself. And what was I getting pleasure out of. The vibrations and the message. Is that I am in control of my life. And nobody else was ever going to help me around there. Um, unless I meet the right messenger, so that's when they use the word Jesus. I couldn't comprehend how I had black skin. <laughs> Sorry, Mark goodin. Um, I couldn't comprehend how my dad's black then if this man's white with blue eyes. None of it made sense. And then when you read into the Bible, curly hair like wool that's like afro stuff and then i also looked at the our skin tone and about sun lotion and sunburn and if we were definitely or jesus was born over there why do why do white people have to wear suntan lotion to protect them so they couldn't possibly have managed that heat they would have burnt um so, so I questioned life, who named Sky, who named a, an animal, a, a lamb, a goat, this. I questioned everything, everything about life. I questioned between good and evil, and I realize what is evil now? When you talk about evil, I talk about those perpetrators doing evil events. I talk about people teaching other people what is their definition of a fetish, what they feel is right. And projecting their aims on somebody else's body. Which cost someone their entire life. I I think about individual people. I don't care if you're running a country. You were brought up by some mother. And as a mother we had you boys. And we raised you boys to men. And some got greedy. Some discarded their own mothers for greed. To take up a position in life. To teach us what was wrong. A woman should be seen and not heard. Cook, clean, bear children, and put up with beatings because the church said so. Yet, your human rights teach are contradictory to what the church says. And that's why they've made a big mistake. Writing out our rights, but doing the opposite to what is written which becomes slander and liable when there are false accusations and so that's where they they home in and keep switching the laws because they know that we're caught on more and more and more to this lie particularly now those vaccines come if people of faith you shut down the churches you lose that bond you lose that hope you shut them all down which is what you did during lockdown the one thing you tell us to rely on is faith and pray. But you shut it all down. I watched a clip the other day from the news where the police turned up and shut the church down over, over on a bank holiday uh, Easter. The one day Jesus riz and born and raised. They wrote this regulation. They wrote this book. And this leadership today, particularly through this lockdown and COVID, is called control. All control. And will you fall for the control and stop doing it? What they say because they planted a seed, or will you continue to go and see your loved ones? How is it biblical to stand by your loved ones and watch them die during COVID, and you are not allowed to help them? Through death do us part. How do you write those marriage vows and then say, you stay in that room, you stay in that room, and you don't do this because of this vaccine? Till death do us part. But you split the universe by mind control. And you're doing it in a way of technology, but you're being found out. And this is why the protests, and why protests come, why they occur. And this is why they were trying to now shut down the protest over here. But that's taking away our rights. So now that becomes another discussion about freedom of speech. So they're trying every tactic possible. But we all know at the end of the day, what the, well, some will know what the vaccine's designed to do. We're already getting complaints. Now they want to reduce the limit. Nobody should take it up until 30 I don't know about you getting that news. I don't know if you're getting UK news over there. Because they are limiting the information that we get from other countries. And so you're only hearing UK stuff. We're not hearing around the world. Because they have to contain what they need to contain. Law and order. Go ahead. That's just my take on what I discovered. I have a Bible um, that was given to me. And I take the contents out. Of what I need to, if you need to understand what is someone saying. Someone's projecting a view. But you have got to muster what it means for you. Stay on the track and stay on your path. Because when we're picking up learned behaviour, that's where we fall off our destination. And we follow somebody else. The classic example about this is, I always say to people, you're getting honed into working for other people. Leadership. But you forget about your own tools and your own leadership skills. Skills. So when you don't have a job anymore because they fire you, because they, you you've overstepped the mark or you overspoke out about their behaviour, and they fire you. You give people and you allow people to fire you because you didn't make your own dream, you didn't discover your own dream, you didn't discover your ability, and we have the ability. Like they're shutting down the shops over here. Shut down the shops. That's people's law and order. Put them on benefit. You've got them where you want. You've got them where you want them. And I think it doesn't affect people that are on benefits. It doesn't. Because they have got nothing to lose. So you're talking about all those people over here that suffer from depression and have a disability and they may receive... um, Any kind of benefit to help them with their mental health and to help them. They've got nothing to lose. The EUK has a good welfare system (laughs) like no other, yeah? And medical. They've got nothing to lose. What was Brexit all about? You know, I just... Coming into your own, we can focus on the outside world, but what are we going to do about this today? You know, what message are we going to project without getting ourselves shut down when you know what you're saying is right but how do we get a message out without getting shut down or getting your youtube channels shut down or your facebook you know you you attacked those people so they had every right to shut you down right
5: no they have the power to shut us down but mass mobilization and alternate or open source um, platforms is what seems to be you know becoming apparent. Panquake, for example, is hopefully gonna be something that is it's open source, it's not like Facebook. Facebook is everything that we say on here and write is owned. What,
2: what? CIA
5: are behind Facebook. What
2: what what did you say? Pan what? Quake. What's that?
5: that that's a public um, platform that's being created. People are funding it, oh. so that it can be open source, so that it can't. You, you can't. It can't be used for state surveillance, which Facebook is used now for.
2: Yeah.
5: Um. You know, you you watch. You know, you watch something or you say something. Um, and you've got ads coming at you the whole time because you're, you know, for example, I'm looking for to refinance my mortgage, which is another load of horseshit because they've privatized homes to the point where, I mean, our, our, uh, we had a guy that bought a, a house for a million dollars and, you know, six weeks later sold it for 1.75 million. So you're, now we're seeing what's happening in England. We're seeing homelessness increase in depression. So the stuff that you're experiencing in England and what they're experiencing in America is all the colonies.
2: But, yeah. And I just The data I surveillance, suspected... did you see that? This was last week on Panorama. You can get a Panorama on YouTube. But they, they were looking at the data surveillance and how it's not detecting black people. And that yeah. is is a classic example of again when you're applying for those mortgages and stuff, you're done on a digital format, and um, they're getting all the data wrong. So, but this was a, a classic. It was like you know when you like get your camera and you go like the, you get your camera and you, and you go like that and it picks up little square boxes. If you're too dark, it's not picking you up. That's the algorithm. You're all about the algorithms now, isn't it? Nobody knows what that word is. But I, I can tell you that how do you have a over a thousand members you do a live and you've got one person watching? Well, sometimes no one's watching.
5: Oh, yeah. My first posts so I used to get 2,000 views in an hour. Then, uh, as it got... You know, it started getting up to 2600 and then suddenly it just disappeared. And then Facebook said, oh, we can boost your post for $25. Yeah,
2: pay pay for it. Yeah. So,
5: and my friend said, you're we, you're being ghosted. We can't see you. You know, like, one of my friends said, I I tried to post stuff, and, you know, like, what they've done is they've customized Facebook to you. So when when you look on my Facebook page you don't see what's on there. Mm-hmm. You only see what's customized to you. Mm-hmm. So everybody sees the Facebook page differently. So in that way it reaches they're saying well this is what you want to see because this is what we've discovered from what you've from your past. Mm-hmm. But people are missing out on a whole bunch of stuff because you don't see the actual Facebook page.
2: Mm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so how are you going to change the world, hey? <laughs> how are you going to try? How are you trying to change the world?
5: My thing? Well, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, as I work in hospitality, I've worked for now an Anglican, um, a fundamentalist Christian, um, and a... Uh, Are two fundamentalist Christians, an Anglican and um, an atheist. All of them, their primary modality is capitalism. So they all lie and manipulate. They all uh, um, want to exploit you. Doesn't matter if they're fucking into white Jesus. Like one guy said, Andre, you know, last night I was praying to Jesus and you know, I have a great relationship with Jesus. We were talking and he's talking about you and he's talking about right now. What has he done? He puts me into I spoke to Jesus about our professional relationship. Me as your boss and you as my chef in my company. Um, and I said, all oh, right, because I want a salary instead of a casual wage. Jesus walked out of the room at that point. <laughs> I didn't get my salary. So it doesn't matter for me, it's just about sharing knowledge and sharing through, excuse me, through doing posts and saying, this is how I see what the government's doing, how it pertains to America and England. It's all the same system. They're all lying. And I just want to wrap and write a book and that's it. Someone said to me, Russell Brand came over here and they told me to see Russell Brand. They said, what do you want to do? I said, I'd like to do that.
2: That's it. Yeah. I, I, I think this COVID stuff opened up our eyes to a lot, especially here when they wouldn't let the people see their loved ones. They would, um, it's almost like they imprisoned the, that's what it felt like. Um these are my words, this is my thought process, um, to describe a feeling of what I was seeing. When they said they couldn't see their visit their their own mothers in the care homes, the first thing I said to my kids, don't ever put me in a care home, ever. You know what I mean? Um, because that was heartbreaking that you were being separated as if they were doing time. It felt like they were doing time. And then and people were dying left, right and centre. So they said So they said, and I I was just confused with it all because I just thought, this is wrong. You want us to help, but you don't want us to help. You want us to leave it all to the NHS and not help. And you kept clapping for the NHS, but it's those little pots of communities that were really doing the heavy work, supplying food, supplying help, running around, doing this, helping people with the mental health, that wasn't the NHS. That was the community coming together. And that's what it shoe. I mean, they're even putting this. They said George Floyd on trial. Look at the words. George Floyd is not on trial. The policeman's on trial. George Floyd is dead. So it's about that subliminal message that they keep putting out there. Are we going to listen to oh, it's
5: so Everett, you think about it. When if police pull you over and you get a fine, what do they say to you? They say we're going to charge you, but they're not. They're discharging you. They're taking something away. You don't. When your phone is plugged in, you don't say I'm going to discharge my. I'm, I'm going to. Sorry. If, when your phone starts running out of battery, you don't say I'm charging my phone when I'm using it. You say the phone's running out of battery now. I'm going to charge it. Everything is the inverse. When you get a fine, it's not fine. It sucks.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right? You, you know, what when, I say when that... they
5: put you in prison. What do they say? They say we're going to put you in a cell. Right. And you get charged. But they're actually taking your life, your energy. The spark of your your creativity is being drained from you slowly. You're not getting charged. You're getting discharged. Ooh. Your life is getting taken away. They, they're saying we own your soul. The spirit of your life of creator, we're going to own it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're not charging you, they're discharging you. Mm-hmm. Look at when they say money, they call it bills.
2: What do you go and pay? It says pay the bearer <laughs> off, doesn't it? The bearer off. Right? Of.
5: Debt. And then now it's not even on God, it says paper.
2: And the thing so is, they're, when they're... people understand that money was born on trees, money, money grew, does grow on trees, um, you know. I remember that one at school they said money doesn't grow on trees but you're wrong, it does, it comes from wood <laughs> right and this is why the population of the trees have just diminished but still at the end of the day money, money doesn't exist it's just, it's just like saying right, at the end of your shift here is your money but if I take that away you, you're the one that put all the work in for someone's idea Money doesn't exist, so we needed to know how to grow our crops, and yet we were prevented from having the free land. Did you know, and not a lot of people know that if they own their own home, they can actually bury themselves in the back garden. Well, not them literally, but they can bury themselves as long as it's six feet away from the house, one body away from the house. You can bury. So why why are we paying the cemeteries all of these thousands of pounds? You know when my mom, when my mother died, they they and my father died, is, they only leave you three for three people to go into it. So you can hold the deeds. But you have to pay for those deeds way in advance before you're even dead. Now during COVID they wasn't burying. They didn't bury, they were burning. They wasn't doing autopsy, you were all dead of COVID. Even if you got hit by a car, you died of COVID. That was what was going on over here. So the statistics wasn't literally right of who died of what. And so the data was completely wrong. But that led me to thinking, well, hold on a minute. If those people that pay for the plots in the cemetery in advance, then the government will owe, and the councils would owe hundreds of pounds to the people in advance because they're no longer using the cemetery. To bury the people. So that's something I wanted people to look at. If you've paid your money into these Mm -hmm. uh, these cemeteries. I own a plot. I own a plot. Can't remember the number though. But I own the plot. But it means nothing to me when I'm dead. Because they were going to burn me, right? Against our wishes. Against our wills. So when you pay for the will as well. In advance. Which you have. The written wills. Those written wills are non and void, with the uh, and in your insurances as well, ill and void because the they want to cre- cremate you instead of bury you. So, your will and testimonial again, you pay thousands into that too. You better look into that. That's why when people say leave a will, I ain't leaving shit. I'm gonna leave knowledge to my children, knowledge. You know, my mum and dad didn't leave me anything. But knowledge. Don't do this. Or this will happen. Yeah? Materialistic things. Hold on to the memories. They're in your brain. No one can take those away from you. And I've lost material over material in the years when you become homeless as well. You lose your kids. You lose all of those valuable things. So you realise the only thing you have got is those memories. So make the memories great when when you're alive. But. Financially, all of this investing into uh, insurance—if um, you ain't got the money, then you ain't got the money. Don't go. Don't dream too big, because you need to sustain your life. And I have had property. I'm going to use the word stolen, but we could use the word taken too. I've had property taken over me that I paid money into on the technicality of a divorce and what the judge favours in favour of somebody completely different to me. So it was okay for somebody to already have a house, but the judge take my house and give that to him too. So the system showed me it was all wrong. The judicial system is all wrong. It is unfair. It is completely unfair. You've got parents walking into courts. Unrepresented. And then so they invent this word. Mackenzie friend. Somebody to speak on your behalf. Because that's a witness. Now they want to just get rid of that. Rules and regulations around that. Because they realise. Having a witness is quite dangerous. So it is about. What you witness. It is about testimonials of people's experiences that are being passed on and knowledge. And again, it's about the right fight. Um, That fight of telling everyone, look, wake up, smell the coffee, be in control of your own life because this is going on over there and for their own gains and whatever else. But it's about empowering people. What are they going to do with their life rather than be sucked into this, sucked into that world? Of they're doing this and they're doing that. We know that. Not going to change that. Focusing on that. Focusing on change is to empower people within their own four walls. To learn how to build money. To learn how to um, empower themselves with the rights. So you never become homeless again. You know. uh, to, To utilize those rights. And stand up for your rights when there are injustices. But in a diplomatic way. When they don't know. You use every power. Well, I've noticed being vocal can shut us down. So you've got to do what they want and speak the same language. And that's something I've learned. They only deal with paperwork. They're not interested in you as a human being. They're interested in their data. And so sometimes you have to speak the data language to get what you want back. So... Well, that's just my perspective of of the world with all the crap people have put me through, with the injustices, with the being in the courts, with the the false accusations, with the lies, and the power overpowering situations, and and, and so um, <laughs> watch this, look at this, my phone's ringing, it says. Who's this? <laughs> All right, I name it. Again, another hi. another scam. Too many scams, you know? Too many scams in life. People scamming people left, right and centre. Now, what do you think about this Bitcoin? Because I... What do you know? This is the latest um, one, isn't it? Stock market.
5: Uh... Well, I think it's probably the future. The banks will try and close it down because it's independent and they want to maintain their power structure. But it's... uh, They'll suppress it for a while, I suspect, but...
2: I don't understand it.
5: No, I I mean, I don't either. I've just listened to a few... I listened to Max Kaiser and he talks about my old boss, Ray Dahlia. He says... He lost out on eighteen percent because he didn't do Bitcoin. And Dalio is like, I think he's the biggest hedge funder in the world. They're all liars to me. They're all thieves to me.
2: I mean, money is conversation that we've had today. (laughs) We talked about everything, really well. Quite a lot of stuff. We've gone from music being good for you, expressing being good for you um did you watch the ayahuasca you should watch I've that. watched one of your videos but I'm very careful with the stuff that I put in my head as well and that's and and
5: well ayahuasca is just a, a lecture by a historian it's 18 minutes at TEDx
2: TEDx. I haven't watched uh to be honest I will watch them when I find the time um I watched your musical one I said like I said it's very very which deep which one did you watch
5: making a killing or the capitalist
2: the first one you sent me by email which was talking about paedophilias and and it it was you named a lot of people in it and the, the video was showing you images of people and as you were telling the story about corruption and what they're doing, hold on, so we' me to get exactly which one it was. <laughs> so
5: Does it start off with a quote, or does it start off laughing?
2: You sent me capital cap cap it a capitalist, yeah
5: capitalist. capitalist.
2: Yep. making a killing rap, John Howard.
5: Now, that's the second one. There's two. There's the capitalist and there's making a killing. Uh-huh.
2: Well I watched the first I watched the first one. Oh, I clicked on the first one. Let me click on it. And then when I watched the first one it took me to the cat. Team Australia. But it's not. it's oh so if it's not on YouTube you just make so this is not on YouTube anymore. No I haven't watched this one war is a racket yeah deep very deep yeah you're right though e- even even with this this statement that you've got there um about uh all has given Australia defence Force to shoot to kill powers at protests and strike actions. You know, uh, you, you're making a very valid statement about power throughout this. Power and control. And, and I got the concept of what you're doing and what you're saying. And um, how long have you been doing this for? I'm trying to get the message out
5: oh i started about a year and a half ago on facebook i was terrified i didn't want to put my face on but about uh four years ago or three and a half three and a half years ago i did my first open mic night and the organizer was like i want you back every week so it was really complimentary but it it it, it really triggered a lot of people because When you talk about white supremacy a lot of white people don't really understand what that is Because they're just getting on with life They don't understand colonization. They don't understand and often You know when you piss white people off Sometimes the first place they go to is you fucking nigger first place sometimes and you just go
2: Whoa. And, right. and, and and i I would agree with you, but it works both ways <laughs> um i would agree I would agree with you that people use the color of your skin as a as a weapon um of disgruntlement when they're good and ready. It was always within, but people do find um hey if I know how to piss you off. If I mention the color of your skin, I'm going to piss you off, and they and they will use and abuse. And when you're when you're good, when they're good and ready, they will discard you and call you a name. You know, um, and you feel it. You feel it, but it, it's not really a reflection on you, is it? It's them, but that's where you make your judgment of choices. Who do you trust? Who do you don't? What is the hidden agenda? agenda? Where, is, where is someone going with this conversation? How is it helpful? I think... On stage,
5: people get triggered by what I talk about. So I would normally yeah.
2: wait. Don't you... you know, sometimes it is triggering. You're, that's as I said. it's very de- I said to you, it's very deep. And you know, when you when you come from that injury listening to that I have to say thank you in a sense that what you are doing is is trying to wake up people to say, Look, this is what's going on, but we're aware of it, we've got to find the solution for it. And when we listen to those messages and look at the pictures and the images we're retaining that as well and so we know that we have to wake up and smell the coffee and 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 the classic example for me is the leadership in this covid vaccine and and that's where i can see that this amazing new god is uh, making its debut through, through, through history, isn't it? A vaccine, a vaccine, a vaccine, a vaccine. Not one, but several. Um, and now we're hearing that it's causing problems. But people b- believed in that vaccine rather than believe in the, what we were taught, faith. They believed in the vaccine rather than faith.
5: What do you mean faith? I mean, faith sounds like horseshit to me.
2: (laughs) If I equate it to that church. I'm going to say, I am in this position, doing what I'm doing, helping people. I listen intently to the things that I have to do. Three for four. I'm led to particular people because they needed help. I didn't know that, but I'm led to particular people. And one day I read something and I heard a strong ancestry, whatever you want to call it, strong, strong sense of something unexplainable. But it fitted into the path of what I was doing because it brought me out of my depression, hearing what I needed to hear. It brought me out of my depression. It woke me up. It made me fight back. It made me not give up. And it made me realise these effing people out here are making rules on our life, and we're letting them have the power. So it realised I what I did is I stood back up. That everybody kept saying, "Have faith, have faith." Then I kept questioning, "What is faith? If this is happening to me, but I know yeah, now faith in what? that everything would be okay." And that there, that I would come out the other side and that things would turn around and that I wouldn't be sent on the street, for starters. Um, that things would ultimately change. But it was me that I had to put in the work to get that change, though. That's what I realised, me. But I can't deny that my spirits guide me. The inner spirits guide me to what is right and what is wrong. I can't deny that there is there is something there, um, and it's I'm now calling the word universe, um, and or spiritual, feeling. That's that's what I'm saying because my God has no face. Um, I'm apprehensive of actually using the word now, but I am, um, no spiritual that we connect spiritually with one another for reason and purpose and so there is something temporarily it's an experience (laughs) there's no time is there because it's just an experience whoever developed a clock forget it whoever developed months forget it we're living in the moment each year is a birthday it reminds you that you're another year older hold on a minute i went to sleep i woke up i still feel the same they date things. Life expectancy, Well, you explore the world is just unbelievable. Too much out there, to even live in negative. All of this COVID stuff woke me up. Are you going to be forced? I spoke on the phone yesterday with a GP. The GP says to me, "Um, how do you feel about you? you you're not not being seen." I said, "Well, this is how I feel. You've blackmailed me into my medical treatment." Whether I have a cotton bud stuffed up my nose to my to my medical problems, I feel it's blackmail. So, what you're teaching people is to not attend the GP services anymore, because there's no hope if there's a decision of vaccine or test. You're teaching the people to accept life for what it's going to be. If I'm going to die, then I'm going to die. But I certainly ain't going to die taking a vaccine. I'm not having it. So they're they're teaching us to make a choice now of our life, life or death, because this is what it really is about, isn't it? Life or death. There's supposed to be some disease out there. Well, the disease is mental health. The the disease is is depression. The disease is oppression. And then that mess up your immune system. So if you can segregate the people, you can stop the church, you can stop the, the hymns, you can stop the love, you can stop the cuddles, you can... You can mess with the mind and manipulate the mind. You can create a whole heap of depression. And depression commits suicides. That's what happens. People give up on life. And you know, you do the job for them. You depopulate for them. So let them continue to create the depression. That's what they want to do. So that you can depopulate for them. Population. We are overpopulated. And they wanted to do something. Well, we're only,
5: overpop- we're only overpopulated if we continue maintaining capitalism because it's, a, it's an unsustainable modality. It's a, it's a hoarding, ravenous, rabid dog. Right. I mean, if it wasn't, if, if we just went, I mean, here in Australia, when they did lockdown, the streets were bare and the, and we, the, the sky got really blue. All the pollution went away. Yeah. Then the fucking, of course, we had bushfires last year, which fucked everything up. But it was a different time. It was peaceful. Crime disappeared because you know people were given benefits so that they could eat.
2: But it didn't disappear. It was. it, it, It meant people were in lockdown with perpetrators. People were getting drunk to cope. And therefore the beatings, the abuse and the child abuse occurs again within four walls. They shut the schools, no escape for children um, going to school, even to offset away from the environment, home environment. Children were not being checked upon whether or not they were fit and healthy um, because everything was shut down. Children were being used as guinea pigs to go to school. But yet the adults had to stay at home. It was a contradictive statement, a contradictive um, output of what's going on. And if you haven't opened up your eyes by now and you're still living in this myth that they're going to save you, I would literally think again.